Welcome to the Fitness Candor Podcast. Your host, Eric Feigl, will be bringing you the truth about exercise and the fitness industry. You'll hear from fitness professionals, exercise science professors and researchers, fitness industry entrepreneurs and leaders, as well as people who simply love to talk shop. Stick around after the show to learn how you can get your topic in an upcoming episode. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fitness Candor Podcast. Dr. Kyle Jones joins us again for um, a little chat on what I like to call bilateral overcompensation. So if you haven't listened to our first podcast, please do. I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, learn more about Kyle there. But he's the clinical director and founder of Carolina's Chiropractic and Spinal Rehab. He's an official chiropractor to NASCAR teams JTG Racing and ST Motorsports. He's also the creator of Peak Posture, which is a, a posture exercise app. You've probably seen me post a lot about that and talk a lot about that. So uh, go check that out. I'll link it in the podcast notes. But anyway, Kyle, thanks for joining me again, man. I appreciate it. Glad to be back. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So like I said uh, in the quick intro, I had this idea because I'm, I'm sure you see a lot of people like this. I see a lot of people like this. Uh, especially when I'm stretching them, not necessarily, uh, depending on the movement, like a lot of overhead presses I see this in, um, but this idea that, uh, let's say you're laying on your back and you're stretching, you're getting stretched, you might notice, or I notice in particular, if I'm stretching someone's right side, uh, their lower body, if I'm doing like a regular hamstring stretch, for some reason, they're the opposite side of their upper body seems to be a little more fluid. And you'd think like running upstream and downstream, kind of like diagonally, you'd look at that and say, well, if your right side's tight on the bottom, your right side tight, must be tight up top. Um, and that's not always necessarily true. Sometimes it's the opposite. I barely see, I bet I've only, I can only remember one person that I remember stretching and both their lower body and their upper body had great mobility. And it was, it was, I think I stopped and was like, holy cow, this is pretty incredible. Like your hips are in line. Um, you know, you're like, your feet are kind of lined up. Um, I, I do a lot of checking for that, like hip, hip alignment. Right. Um, I don't know if that's outside of the scope of my practice. So I hope it's not cause I do it. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but anyway, I, so, so I, I had this idea in my head that maybe we have like this, what I call a bilateral overcompensation where a person who is maybe dominant on one side um, may lean towards that side more often on both sides, uh, on, on both spheres of the body, the upper and, and the lower half, I guess, the half of the body. Right. And, um, and I didn't know if there's, if you had, uh, if you come into anything like that, where you notice that like somebody's left side of their lower body is stronger or more fluid than let's say the, the opposite side of their upper body. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's an interesting topic that you're bringing up because, you know, you mentioned the fact that you started to see these types of things grouped together over and over and over again in your mm -hmm. clients, patients, whatever we're dealing with. And it's the same thing that I see in clinical practice is that um, you start to you start to see these different types of patterns and you wonder, hmm, am I on to something, you know, or is this something that uh, I'm missing the boat? And then you start to see one that doesn't fit the mold. And then you realize, wow, that's the abnormal one. So yeah, you, you do see these, these patterns develop, you know, and, yeah. um, 
you know, the way I can describe it, the way that I best like to see it in my office is you do see functional changes that take place in the person. And the reason I describe it as functional is because it is a compensation to something else that's happened in their body. So for instance, a function, functional scoliosis, what below that scoliosis has created that scoliosis? So is it a short leg? Is it a pelvis that's dropped? Um, is it a, is it just simply a foot that's over pronating that's causing the body to, you know, the tibia to rotate internally and then ultimately the femur to adjust and then the pelvis to drop and then the spine to do the same thing. So, um, we'll mm -hmm, see that mm -hmm. over and over and over again. Now, the weird thing is, is that these people still have to perform their daily functions. So even though the whole kinematic chain is not working properly, you will get those fixations, let's say in a left hip, well then the right hip or the right shoulder has to move more in order to make up for that lack of swing in the left hip. So you're, you exactly, you're exactly right. And um, that is how our body works. Our body is meant to compensate. Our body is meant to be able to um, you know, accomplish its whatever goals it's gonna do, even if it's running into kinks in the chain, so to speak. And yeah. that's what is, is always fascinating to me when, when I see patients is how are you still able to do what you're doing the way that your body's set up? And, you know, fortunately, we've been able to work with those, th that NASCAR team. And, um, you know, you see this with the guys that are jumping over the wall that are, you know, trying to change four tires and do all these things in a matter of 10 to 12 seconds. Well, now it's about 16 seconds because they removed a, a one guy from the pit crew. But they are doing a repetitive one-way motion and they're leaning to the same side every single time. And then they're lifting a 70 pound tire off with one arm and throwing it back. And all these yeah. things happen rapidly. But anyway, point being is that their body has to adjust to that and allow them to be able to do it. But it still doesn't make, it doesn't make sense from a biomechanical standpoint. Um, so I, I even think of the, somebody sitting inside that race car and think about what their, what their feet are doing and how their hips are adjusting and how that affects their spine and their, their upper body also, right? I'm sure they're getting out of the car. They get in the car the same way, out of the car the same way. I mean, hell, they're leaning to the left most of the time. Yeah, those guys are <laughs> incredible. They're incredible athletes. They yeah. Are. And their bodies are, you should see their, their rigorous workouts that they go through. It, it is incredible, um, which may not have always been the case years ago, but just like in, you know, professional golf, those people weren't, right. those guys weren't always athletes either. And now you see, you know, Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy, these guys are, they are fit athletes. Yeah. Yep. So one thing that um, I thought about when you were talking about that, the kinetic chain is, and I, I bring this example up a lot. And just because I think it's such an important uh, movement that we do, but the overhead press, and I see that especially with dumbbells. Um, if I do single side dumbbell press, if I'm press, if somebody's pressing with the right hand, and I try to get them to go all the way up. And the last couple reps, even though I'm watching and trying to make sure they don't cheat, you know, they're, they're bracing their, their, uh, their abs are keeping their, their ribs extended. Their back is in a good, good set position. Sometimes and I like going stagger stance. So if they're pressing with the right hand, they've got their left leg out and maybe that has something to do with it, but having a very, uh, sturdy back foot. So if you've got your, your um, opposite leg out, whatever foot's in the, in, in the back, you've got it straight and you're not leaning into it. Does that make sense? Like you're not right. hunching into that hip. Right. Um, so everything's upright, but I see that all the time. People try to cheat a little bit. So they let that hip relax. They kind of sink into their socket and they lean over and they get that overhead press and they, they finish that way. Um, that's so usually that when I call like, all right, you're done. 
Right. Is, it is, is that a glute medius deficiency or what, what muscle in there, the, the pelvic stabilizer is not allowing them to, to hold that position for long periods? And this is, it brings up a, mm, a, that's a good question, Eric. And one of the things that we do with patients, even from day one, is we, we put them in a stork pose. So I have them stand in front of me and lock one leg and then see if they can bring their opposite leg to 90 degrees with their hip and their knee and see if they can hold it there. Can they hold it there yeah. for 15 seconds? And you'd be shocked how many people are, like you said, working out at high levels that can't even do that. And so yeah. if they can't stand there in a one-legged stork pose for 15 seconds, then how, what are they having to do to compensate in order to perform the, the, you know, the whatever exercise we're, we're putting them through or we're expecting them to do? Um, you know, that's a, that, that's a, that's a good uh, technique. And I want, I'm wondering, how do you coach that when you're setting somebody up and you – I mean, obviously you show them and they do it. And if they fail, like right away, they might not get it. How do you coach that movement? Because for me, even like standing in front of somebody and I try to coach something like that, um, and I might use, you know, one of the, uh, the airsoft pads. If I put them on an airsoft pad to, to balance like somebody who is maybe recovering from a, a hip replacement or something like that, which is I'm, I'm helping somebody right now. And um, they're very early on in the stages, but trying to get them to, to focus on that upright position, I try to try to tell them to shove their that hip uh it towards the center of their body and they usually usually clicks but not for very long right and you know the one thing that i try to do is if they can't do it correctly then let's have a wall support there's no, mm, okay. there's no reason to try to do it longer if you're not doing it correctly so even if you can only do it three seconds correctly then let's take a break and let's start over and do it three seconds again and i'm sure you're dealing with people that are a lot stronger and healthier than that but um you know, it just, it serves the point and the purpose is that yep. let's do it right. Let's not do it for long periods. Let's make sure that we're, we're retraining this body. We're trying to break down these patterns. We're trying to get you back into more of a fundamental and we're not all going to be perfect, but goodness gracious, no. you, you can really change somebody's long-term, um, basically the health of their body. If you can break them down a little bit and put them back in and have them using the body the way it's built or designed to be utilized. And that's where, you know, one of the funniest things that I teach, or I, I feel like we are, it's a remedial class whenever we're having patients do this, but even just the hip hinge in and out of a chair is that, yeah. you know, with people with lower back problems in and out of a chair 46 times a day, and they're re-injuring themselves on a, you know, micro-traumatic level multiple times in a day. If we can just get them getting that in and out of that chair in a, in a, a better fashion, then ultimately they're probably going to get better faster and stay better longer. Yeah. So, okay. I, I want to come back to that, the hip hinge, because a lot of people, especially in our, in, in the field of tr field of training in like the chiropractic area, you say hip hinge and it's like, that's easy for me to do. Right. And uh, the more I teach people about the hip hinge, the easier it is for me to coach that. It's a very difficult thing to coach somebody through, especially if it's their very first time. But what I wanted to talk about was um, you mentioned breaking somebody down so they can get into correct, correct positions. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a hard thing, I think, especially for trainers to grasp. And I'm talking to myself because sometimes I, I just I want to jump, uh, you know, put the cart in front of the horse. But I have to really remind myself sometimes, like, you need to teach the correct position no matter what or, or stop this person, maybe don't load this person and focus, like, the first 10 minutes of the workout uh, doing X movement before you progress them to anything else. Because sometimes I'm just like, I just want this person to get a great workout in because I know they're not going to practice this movement when they leave here and they're t with me twice a week for a total of an hour. So let's just get a good workout in. But um, I think it goes, it, it builds some buy-in 
when you really take care of that person, you say, here's why we're doing this because I want you to get better at that movement, whether, whether it's a lunge, a regular squat, a leg press, whatever it is, overhead press, and, and spending some time really walking through, spending five to 10 minutes with, with uh, that one movement every time they come in and then slowly progressing them and then maybe diving back and say, hey, remember when we started here, now you're here? Well, here's why. Because eventually you're going to be able to set up an exercise for them or um, a movement for them and just give them one cue and they, boom, they got it. But, it. but but it takes practice and effort on your part too. Right. And, you know, and a couple of things that points that I'm just going to continue on here with is that my best patients are educated patients. And I'm sure your best clients are educated clients, right? And so you, yeah. you yep. definitely want these people buying into everything you're trying to accomplish. And the more information that they have, they understand it. Whereas, you know, if you're, like you said, just giving them a good workout, well, if we just continue to give them a good workout, are they going to injure themselves and not be able to come back? And so ultimately, how long is this going to last? And there may not always be an injury associated with it, but it's just one of those things that let's let's train the person fundamentally right and then progress them in through where they need mm-hmm. to progress. It's hard because some people want to see results very quickly, and right. you juggle with that. Is that you know they may have a goal with you. Well, I want to I want to put on five pounds of weight or whatever or muscle mass or I want to lose twenty pounds. I'm sure they have very specific goals, which that's going to alter the way that you go about your things. Um, you know, a- another point was whatever you were talking about the overhead press is. The one thing from a chiropractic standpoint is the reason we always check the spine, whether it's a wrist injury, an ankle injury, a foot injury, whatever it may be, we are always going to check the spine. It's because proximal stability equates to distal mobility. And so cool. if that, if that, the proximus of your body, if that, you know, the, the spine and the core of your body is not working correctly, then ultimately you cannot have quality uh, movements further out from, you know, into the extremities. It, it's just, it's not possible. And so, you know, like you were talking about with, you tell them, I love to hear that you're telling them to brace their core, you're talking about their, their spine and their ribs and all these different things. But, you know, the, the number one muscle that activates whenever you're lifting anything with your arms is the transverse abdominis. And people don't realize that is that as long as the neurology in your body is working the way it's supposed to, then your brain's supposed to tell that transverse abdominis to fire to protect your core in order to allow your, your arms to do what it's supposed to do. And, you know, the best yeah. example that I've ever seen is it's like a, you know, those big cranes that you see that are building buildings or whatever it may be. It has this big arm, but this huge base. And that's kind of how the scapula and the arm are designed is that the scapula is supposed to be moving correctly all along the rib cage. If the thoracic spine's not moving well, if the ribs aren't doing what they're supposed to be, then the scapula can't do what it's supposed to be. And ultimately that, right. you know, the humerus and so on, so on and so forth. So it's, it's such a fascinating thing where, um, unfortunately, at times, those patterns that these people have developed, it's very hard to unwind, so you kind of have to do what you can with it. Yeah, definitely. And before I get too, too far off topic, I want to scale back to um, the, the overcompensation we were talking about. So if you had somebody who had severe, um, this idea of like bilateral overcompensation, left hand has great mobility, right leg has very little, uh, what are some uh, corrective exercises or um, some movements that you might take them through and, and you name, name your name your body parts too I mean it doesn't have to be that way well and that's a great point um, you know first we could assess a functional squat and what's going on with that functional squat are they are like you said are they shifting or um, 
whenever we're standing and doing just one legged raise with the stork is that pelvis dropping, meaning that there's glute med dysfunction. So what is there? Is it, is it a chiropractic aspect where I need to unlock the pelvis or adjust the sacrum or adjust the lumbar spine? Or is it something where we need to do a rehab component where we're doing, you know, one legged glute, glute max bridges just to activate glute max or sideline clams, you know, where we're activating the glute medias. Um, and yep. again, you know, these are very low tech types of things. Um, and then, you know, from that point on is that I, I think the key is identifying, is it deactivation or is it spasming or is it um, lack of joint mobility? And then I think if you can, if you can differentiate between those types of things, you know how that, like you said, if it's a fascia component where it's, where it's just tight and you can get in there and do some myofascial work on it. Um, right. Or is it just something we need to reactivate? Because most of these muscles are, they can be, re, just like I'm sure you've seen it with the, you know, when people start working out, they, they have gains very quickly. And it's because oh, yeah. of the, proprio, the proprioception, right? The, the brain is just now talking to that body part again where they hadn't been talking to it. So, um, I mean, I would go from there. I would start with the, if a person can't do a, a solid glute max bridge, then that, that's a telltale sign. Something's wrong there. Um, yeah. And if, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead and finish. Well, and then um, if they can't do lay on their side and open those legs with the clam, is that hip not moving correctly? So ultimately they're having to up, further up the chain start to um, create hypermobility in order to overcompensate for that hip that's not able to externally rotate, um, which those are such subtle little things that you can do just by distracting the hip and mobilizing. Those are, those are easy fixes. Um, yeah. You know, the, the last thing that... I'll mention as far as that goes, you know, this is the other thing that I deal with is what happens the other 23 and a half hours out of the day. And oh, man. you'd be shocked how many people we start to talk to and they're like, you know, I started to look at my car seat and it's shifted to one side, or I started to look at my, um, you know, my desk chair and that thing I've had it for eight years and it's leaning one way. And so it doesn't matter what you do. If they continue to go back and sit in that chair all day, there's nothing that we can do, you know? Yep. And so, you know, being a, a detective, a good detective is also extremely beneficial for you and that person because you can get down to the dirty with a lot of them. Yeah. And, and taking, taking a look at the person's uh, shoes, if they're wearing tennis Absolutely. shoes often, yeah. you can see the wear and tear on that too. That's super important. But so um, to break down what you said a little bit, I mean, basically you are assessing or identifying and then you are helping to treat and treat, and then you're adapting and progressing. That's right. And I think that's something that um, kind of scales back to to what I mentioned before about you know having an issue sometime of as a trainer wanting the person just to come in get a safe solid workout and move on and you know at least at least that person got what they needed in, in that half hour appointment but you ha we have to remember to assess treat and adapt and progress um, one thing that you talked about uh, talking about the uh, the clamshell so I do that a lot uh, with with people. And it's funny because, you know, you get like, oh, this is Jane Fonda. Yeah, you, know, you get all those kind of jokes. You're like, yeah, you know, she was on to something, right? This is something that kind of like it, it comes up and then it goes away. It comes up and goes away. And right now, like uh, we're seeing a lot of like the glute me talk um, on social media, especially a lot of people are hammering it, which is super important. One thing, um, and it's really hard for me to describe unless I'm like adjust my chair. I, don't, I can't do it. Like I'm not going to lay on my desk because thing's going to break. But, <laughs> but if I'm laying on my side, um, like you were talking about, you're, 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 you're you're trying to identify um, uh, either like a global a global response to a movement or like a localized response to a movement. And when you're you're in that 
clamshell position, I, I really don't even look at what the hip does. I look at what the, the upper body does during that motion, you know, are they, are they, are they right. use, exactly. And that's what we're talking about when we look, when we look at these things and I think an easy fix, um, easy fix, no, it's not an easy fix, something to get them to th- getting them to think about, uh, recruiting more of their glute med in that motion and using more of their hip is I, I put something behind them that r- completely eliminates that uh, trunk rotation either they're against the wall or i put a uh, a foam roll right behind them um and And i don't see a lot of other people do that right away what's that well no that's uh, that's fantastic and immediately that gets that person to buy in because i know one of the the, the things i struggle with is uh, the patient understanding the importance of how i mean these are so low tech they are low tech exercises that the people don't feel challenged so to speak but mm-hmm. the problem is, yeah. are they doing them correctly? Because like you said, once you block them on that wall, I bet they feel a substantially different um, sensation in that area at that glute need because they're actually using it. Exactly. Yep. And so, and, um, but to, to kind of, to go with my point is basically like explaining what you're doing uh, with, uh, with the client. Hey, this is what we're going to use this for. Now you should feel it here. So then you're taking, now I'm, now you're, as the practitioner, you're taking your, um, your scope of where you were looking and now you're placing it back onto where they should feel. And I think, um, obviously that's, that's very important also, but, uh, um, you, well, you hit it right on the head when they're very, it's very like low tech. And when somebody says, I don't know why we're doing this. I don't feel it. Well, here's why we're doing it and focus on this and give me this rep count, slow this repetition down. So, um, and along with that comes progression also. You know, you're, you're going from maybe they, maybe they only do like 10 or 15 before their, uh, before their, their hip expires and they just can't do a full range of motion. And then you go with a little bit longer holds and then you go with, um, maybe some pulses and you, you add in variety to it. So it's not as, you know, mundane for them because you still have to take care of, and I'm just talking from my point of view, maybe you have a different uh, approach to that. No, I mean, I think it's, you have to progress, especially well, one, the body is going to adapt. So you have to, if it truly is a deficit, then you've got to continue to challenge in order for the body to make, uh, make changes. But, um, you know, the, the struggle I have with my patient base is just compliance. And I think we all have that. And it's, it's not because of, it's not because we deal with bad people. It's just because life is outside of these doors and, um, yeah. you know, allowing people a safe place to fail is a very important thing in any sort of healthcare profession because um, we're all going to continue to fail at life. Like I was just telling you with my back injury. I mean, we're all going to do things that are, (laughs) that are, you know, silly that we know are not the best things. And we're, none of us are going to be hundred percent compliant, but how do we continue in that model that we're able to work with? How as a team with myself and my patient, how am, how are we going to accomplish our goal um, with the variables that we have at play? And that's where, you know, with me, with my progression with people is that we have to get, you, you have to recheck before you end up progressing. And that's where, you know, patients come to me and they're like, I think I'm, I'm extremely, I'm getting good at this. And so you recheck them and they're not even doing it right. It's only been three <laughs> days since you've seen them. <laughs> right. You know? So that's the one thing I always make sure that I do is we're going to recheck them prior to just saying, oh yeah, let's go to the next level. Let's add a hundred pound weight to you, you know, and saying just to, just to see. Because they said so, especially. 
right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're breaking back down, explaining the importance of it. Um, another thing you brought up was, you know, when they leave, they're sit when they're at work, and they, you know, they notice that their chair's leaning to one side, or their their monitors maybe off a little bit because they are leaning to one side. Those little things. Is that something that you that you you're striving to improve, like helping them them manage? And if you do, like, how do you? What what does that look like to you? What what's that conversation like? Well, it's interesting. And now I've gotten just because of my personality and the people that I deal with, but I've I've laid it out there for them. And I just tell them like, listen, these are the things you are going to need to do outside of this office, or you can put my kids through college. It's your choice. And so, <laughs> and so uh, I mean, and I'm saying that with the best intentions because yeah. I have no interest. We have plenty of people with back pain. I don't need you to support my kids in college. So we can do this through all the aspect. But, um, you know, and, and just like you said, I don't care if I treat someone three times a week, which we don't. I mean, we do for a very short period of time if they're acute. But um, that other 23 and a half hours of the day is the make or break. It is what you do. There's mm -hmm. nothing that I can do. We are not miracle workers. And you know that with you your, yourself the same way is that we're giving these people tools. Obviously, we're, we're helping them, but we've got to have some sort of commitment from them on the other side. And that's where, you know, we, I, it's like I said, being a detective and we try to ask them, well, it used to be when I first started, it was one monitor. Now all of my patients have three monitors. Like, what could you possibly yeah. need on all these monitors? <laughs> um, but so, you know, what you find out then, if you, if you dig a little deeper, well, but I work 85% of the time on my left monitor or, you know, so they're rotated to the right or, um, you know, whatever it may be. And, you know, it, it's interesting because you even find out which side of the bed these people sleep on. They're like, well, my husband snores and so I don't want to face him. So I always sleep on my right shoulder facing this way with my arm underneath this, like the, underneath my head. Right. So. These are all little things that I think that um, good practitioners are going to identify and they're going to help that person remove those obstacles so that we can ultimately reach, reach our goal. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Like it, it may not seem, I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I think a lot of people, especially in, you know, if you're in the, the industry that, that we're in, I'd like to consider as part of, I don't even like using the word healthcare because what healthcare is, is not health. It, they're treating sick people, right? It, it's sick care. But yeah. um, if we're part of a healthcare system, we, we're trying to prevent someone from worsening themselves or prevent someone from going down a path they shouldn't, or trying to get somebody back on the right path. Those are the necessary things. I think maybe sometimes it's more important for us to, to, to work backwards and say, okay, cause we already know what's going to happen in, in the gym or when they come to see you in the office, um, at least I have a, a somewhat clear vision, but if I don't get the full picture of maybe one thing that you said that sticks out is, is, uh, that sleeping in bed, you know, I'm always on one side, an easy fix, especially when we were talking about the overcompensation might be just sleeping with a body pillow That's for exactly right. the rest of their life. You know, like that might be an easy fix. Maybe, maybe they're sleeping with too many pillows under their head, you know, or, or, whatever the case is, but having that full line all the way down, um, all the way until the moment they hit the gym, you kind of have an idea, okay, hopefully they slept in a better position. Hopefully they fixed their monitor over the past, you know, hopefully they've done X, Y, and Z. And then you get to, then you really get to narrow down on your scope of practice because hopefully they're taking more uh, of the opportunity to, to fix what needs to be fixed on the outside when you're not there. Absolutely. And, uh, it, and I'm not saying that I'm not saying that we as professionals 
shouldn't reach out a little more often and maybe double check on people. But I'm also saying that we're not babysitters. And I like to tell people, I'm not a babysitter. I'm not a drill sergeant. I'm somewhere in between. Um, Eventually you got to take majority of the responsibility though. If you're, you know, if you're, if you're coming to see one of us, then you're already taking a bit, a pretty big step. You had to make that decision. So make the decision to do the things on the outside. I'll get off my soapbox. and, And they're paying you for your, your expertise and they're paying for you for you to guide them, you know? And so right. I, I, th- that doesn't mean they always have to take all the recommendations. However, um, you know, they're not paying for you to just be a cheerleader for them either. I mean, you're, you're exactly. trying to tell them, Hey, m- maybe this is the issue. Maybe this is the issue. And I, I think they appreciate mm-hmm. that. Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah, definitely. You know, one of, one of the very interesting things and this kind of drilled at home for us when we were in school was there was a instructor that we had, we were in this big auditorium, maybe 150 people in it. And, the instructor was at the far left portion of the room and he, he lectured over there for an entire hour. And so all of us were turned our head to the left and just staring at this person. And then after that entire uh, lecture, he was like, just asking, uh, so does everybody have, or does anybody have any neck pain or is your neck stiff and all these different types of things? And we are like, yeah, it is. And he said, so imagine that times eight, if you slept for eight hours on your stomach and you had to have your neck turned to one way and think how you would feel over the course of, 20, 30 years of oh, doing wow. that. And so that was one of the things that drilled home to me that subtle things as your sleep position is extremely important. And your body is unable to stay in that position without severe rotation of the cervical spine and extension of the lumbar spine. And so something's going to fail um, over yeah. time. So anyway, it was just a, a fun story. No, that, that, that makes sense when you think about when people come in and they're always like, oh, I always have this pain on this side of my neck. Like every morning, especially my early morning people who basically literally roll out of bed and come in yep. and they're, they're always rubbing one side. They're always fiddling with one side of their back or their one side of their hip and it never fails, right? I mean, it's, you think hopefully most people are getting at least six hours right. of, of some kind of sleep and um, especially when you're coming, you're rolling out of bed right, right to the gym. Like you're not even like your central nervous system has barely even got you to the gym right. <laughs> to, to right. begin with. <laughs> We know your conscience um, isn't working because your conscience wouldn't take you there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, dude, just stay in bed. What are you doing? There's pop tarts and, right. and milk in the fridge. Like, we're staying home. Um, well, this is awesome, man. I'm I'm glad we got your input on it. Um, uh, remind uh, remind me and everybody else. Where's the best place to get a hold of you and uh, any other kind of projects that you're working on right now? Yeah. Well, we just released the Peak Posture app, which is um, designed to try to reduce repetitive wear and tear from people sitting at a desk. So it's on the app store. It's peak posture and um, it's free for another few days. Um, and then it'll have a small fee associated with it. But um, that's a great place to check that out. We also have, you can look us up online at Carolinas S chiropractic.com. Um, and you know, any questions we have contact information at that point. Awesome. All right, Cal. I appreciate it, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Eric. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to suggest a topic or be a part of the show, get in touch with Eric on any social media platform at Eric Feigl or email fcp at ericfeigl.com. Make sure to check back every Tuesday and Thursday for more fitness candor.